Rebecca Stokes and welcome to Strategy Bytes. I am the co-founder of Oak Tree Talent Group, a specialist strategy and transformation recruitment agency. Strategy Bytes is a compilation of career stories and insights from the market's most experienced executives. Many have gained their strategy toolkit from management consulting. In each episode, we ask the best of the industry's talent to share the highs and lows of their careers and the best bits of advice they've ever been given. They will give us a glimpse of what their day-to-day lives look like now, warts and all. Our aim is to give inspiration to the ambitious strategists out there and give them an understanding of what is possible. In each episode, we will ask guests for a read, watch or listen to recommendation and a quote or value that they live their lives by. My next guest on the Strategy Bytes podcast is Paul Mullins. Paul is part of the operating board at Investigo's strategy and consulting practice and private equity practice. Investigo's strategy and consulting practice operates across the UK, Europe and US. And if you've ever asked me about opportunities in these countries, it's likely that I've put you in touch with Paul. So welcome, Paul, and thank you for joining me on the Strategy Bytes podcast from good old Blighty. You can't yep. speak to someone from Blighty without asking, how's the weather? <laughs> <laughs> As you'd expect, grey and miserable, just like it is uh, most days through, through through spring here. But fingers crossed for some blue skies soon. Would you mind just giving me and my audience a bit of an overview of your background and for those that don't know Investigo very well, um, what the business does? Sure, sure. So I sit on the, uh, on the board of a recruitment agency called Investigo. We've been around now for about 18 years or so. And I joined the business about 11 years ago to to set up our strategy and consulting business units. As time has progressed, that's also turned now into a private equity business, as well as now being responsible for our US uh, business as a whole. Outside of the, the sectors I just mentioned, we cover anything from financial services to property and construction, general finance work, et cetera, et cetera, but about 10 or 11 sort of specialist boutique brands operating under one umbrella. And look, the reason I was so keen to get you onto the podcast is because obviously we operate in Australasia only and many of the candidates that we deal with sometimes come from offshore and want to do a stint in Australia. And of course, some end up staying and some usually at that time where they're considering children or have children feel a pull towards being closer to home. And often that's Europe, um, occasionally the US, but a lot from Europe. So we often get asked about, you know, what opportunities are like abroad. And that, that's when I usually just flick you their resume and make the introduction <laughs> to you guys. Um, but it'd be really good to, you know, let the guys in Australia know sort of what's been going on where in the, in the areas that you operate. So firstly, have you been as busy as us, given obviously what's going on in the globe? <laughs> very much so. Yeah, very much so. We, we saw a huge upturn post-COVID, I'd say probably around January of 2021, we started to see light at the end of the tunnel. By February, it was really all guns blazing, all hands on deck. And like most recruitment companies in most sectors, actually, we had record years, record months, record quarters. Without a shadow of a doubt, demand was outweighing supply significantly. And lots of the candidates that ended up looking for, for new roles as a result of the COVID situation were very quickly snapped up again by very similar companies, etc. So yeah, we saw a big bounce back, that's for sure. And obviously you mentioned your break, obviously in the UK, Europe, and more recently, the US. What are the mm-hmm. biggest markets, the busiest markets that you're focused on at the moment? From a, from a strategy point of view, to be honest, it really varies. If you go back 10 years or so, 
our, our candidate base, which is top tier consultants, big four consultants, boutique consultants, very much focused on strategy, similar to yourself, Annika. And they would be moving into lateral moves into consulting or uh, into industry roles, as you're very familiar with. And back then, there were very standard group strategy roles that they would be moving into. And there wasn't much deviation from that. Over time, with the birth of analytics, digital insights, customer pricing, more emphasis on corporate development, et cetera, et cetera, transformation, we found the landing spot for our candidate base to be much more varied than it was 10 years ago. So to, in answer to your, your question, where are we spending most of our time? Digital analytics, commercial due diligence skill sets from an industry point of view, and I'd say from a consulting point of view. But the interesting theme that we're picking up is um, the relatively generalist direction that consultants would go in 10 years ago is now much more specialized. So us as a business, we're having to be much more specialized when we go to market. So we used to have a consulting team. Now we have a digital team, a strategy team, a pricing team, uh, a transformation team, all within consulting or corporate opportunities. So um, on any given day, to be honest with you, there's not a specific one area versus the other, all of the key themes that I touched on earlier, I'd say we're, we're quite busy across all of them, actually. And would you say the majority, like the biggest market you're recruiting is the UK still? Yeah, UK, yeah, we're very strong in the UK. About six, seven years ago, we expanded into France, followed by the DAC region, followed by the US. And I'd say our footprint is representative of the time that we've been in each one of those, in, 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 one of the, in, in all of those geographies, I'd say. It's been a very long time since I recruited in the UK. So I think 14 years ago, I left um, London. So, <laughs> and I, I used to do all of my recruitment, well, I'd say 90% of my recruitment into consulting firms. So McKinsey, County, you know, KPMG and some of the boutiques. And I'd say back then, you know, that was my bread and butter. I didn't really know anything else. But um, here we would recruit probably 80% of our roles for industry clients. What would you say the split is? Do you, do you recruit for consulting firms as well as industry? Yeah, so the, the way that we structure our teams, we have a consulting team and within that team, we focus on digital operations, technology and strategy. We then have a corporate team, which focuses exclusively on placing ex-consultants into corporate firms. And then we have a private equity team, which focuses on actually take, looking at both people who are straight out of consulting as one talent pool. And secondly, people who have left consulting, gone into a corporate role in some kind of general management capacity or whatever and then want to go on to the value creation side of private equity versus the deal side, I suppose. So we are probably stronger in consulting on the basis of headcount alone, but we've been recruiting in the consult in the corporate side for again, 11 years. So certainly have some strong networks and influence in that space as well, no doubt. Yeah. I, I found it particularly difficult to recruit for consulting firms in Australia. I think obviously there is less of them here and it's just harder to attract people into consulting from other consulting firms. Are you, do you find that or? I think one of the reasons to be honest that, that we do quite well in consulting is we've been doing it for quite a long time now and we've always split out our consulting team and our corporate team. More often than not, when you speak to a consultant, again, as you'll know, the answer immediately when you say, would you like to go to another consulting firm? The answer is will eight or nine times out of 10 be no, I'm looking for a corporate move. I'm looking to move into private equity and so on. So actually the path of least resistance at that stage of the conversation is actually, okay, well, let's talk about corporate opportunities and let's build our relationship on that side. However, 
the, the need for consultants within consulting, it's very candidate led. And if you can objection handle effectively when speaking to candidates who are looking at consulting or not considering consulting opportunities initially with a good, with good depth and understanding as to this is the history of this consulting firm. And actually you may think a boutique is right for you, but have you tried the larger firm or you may think that the UK is right for you? Have you tried a more European firm? Mm. It's interesting how often we're able to turn a no into a maybe into a yes over a period of time. So yeah, it's an interesting one. Completely agree. And we're seeing a lot more people going back to consulting in Australia when they've sort of mm. left consulting, gone into corporate, been a bit of disillusioned or hit a ceiling in terms of how far they can go um, yeah. and then gone back to consulting and are actually really loving the intellectual capability around them. So, yeah, it's an interesting one. Yeah, we've seen that. We've seen particularly at the senior levels, actually, we've seen partners in consulting move into chief strategy officer roles, et cetera, in, in corporate firms. And a few years later, they bounced back into consulting because they, the realization that actually their ability to drive change as an advisor versus in a large, complex, global organization can be quite clunky at times. Mm. So yeah, it's, it's, it's definitely a trend at the moment. I agree completely with people who are going moving back into consulting, which was not happening 10 years ago. No, exactly. And I'd love to talk to you about some of the, the trends that you were seeing. And currently um, we're seeing sort of traditional strategy roles, like you mentioned, Still in high demand, however, there's been an increase in roles, like you say, in in the UK, it's happening as well in data strategy, chief of staff type roles, you know, partnerships where they are looking for that consulting um, background, but in a more diversified role. You mentioned um, data analytics is particularly strong. Would you say that's where a lot of the clients are looking? I think so. I think so. Yeah, I think so. I think that we used to just look at people who are on the quantitative end of, of strategy consulting. Now that's obviously spun off now and, and it's a huge growth driver for consultancies, for corporate firms. And we do a lot of work in the private equity space in developing value creation teams with a focus on data analytics, actually, and the use of data science. And so, it, so it, we are seeing that as a huge driver behind strategy projects and behind transformation projects. So. It's often an enabler for consultancies to go in and say, well, actually the data is telling us this, which means we need to be doing X, Y, Z. It's a good conversation starter yeah. um, for consultancies, that's for sure. So we've definitely seen the demand. Here we've seen a dramatic increase in salaries recently, and that's been driven by the increase of demand for consulting services generally over what's been going on for the last few years um, and the inability to bring candidates offshore. Um, obviously we've had very strict border lockdowns for many years and they're starting to open up, but it's very, very slow. So consulting firms are promoting people early, increasing salaries, offering big retention bonuses, which is obviously pushing up salaries in the corporates also when they try and hire their yeah. staff out of consulting firms. Are you seeing that happen in other countries or is it just here? No, we're definitely seeing it too. And going back to the point around demand is outweighing supply at the moment, there's definitely a bubble forming um, and it's our job to, to advise our candidates as, as well as, as well as our clients. We've been speaking to quite a lot of our clients recently around, okay, what happens when the market normalizes and you've hired a bunch of people on elevated salaries, on elevated positions sometimes, and then the market catches up with you and all of a sudden the economics and the conversions aren't what they used to be. What then? And I think it's something that candidates when they're looking at these glamorous salaries and glamorous job titles and clients, when they're thinking about, actually, we've got an acute problem that we need solving here and now, look, 
we've been in a great market now for two years now, mm. give or take, uh, or 18 months, certainly. My concern is in six months time, nine months time, my advice to candidates would be don't move yourself into a situation where you're overexposed on the basis of a really glamorous retention bonus or, or package or whatever it might be. It has to be the right job for you. So, um, so yeah, to your point, we're certainly seeing those trends here, but there's certainly some concern creeping into the market as well on that, yeah. on that basis. And obviously it causes disparity in teams. And therefore, when you join a business on such a higher salary than maybe your peers, it makes you, you know, you have to perform, outperform your peers to maintain that. Um, you have to be able to justify it. Yeah. You, have to be, you have to be able to justify it. And in a talentual market, you can paper over those cracks, but it, 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 it could come creeping up behind you, I think. So my advice to candidates on this is just be careful. And one, one other trend we're seeing, obviously, from the candidate side is an increase in demand for roles in the tech space. Um, mm. And I'm talking, you know, we, we're having conversations every day with probably more junior candidates mostly, but naming sort of Google, Facebook, Atlassian as places they want to go. And that's where they see, you know, obviously, a, a, you know, friends have gone there potentially. Um, mm. There's not huge amounts of roles in those organizations. And often we're finding when consultants do actually secure jobs, those types of companies, they're often quite underwhelmed by the actual strategy content um, and intellectual horsepower in those actual roles. And we're seeing them come back onto market. Um, obviously, you're going to have a lot more tech firms and these sort of opportunities arise offshore. I mean, are you seeing a similar trend? We're definitely seeing it from the candidate side. It's certainly the on-trend um what am I looking for answer is a, a, a tech firm, but content is the exact words I'd use there. And I'd, they, they tend to go into quite content focused roles and then land and realize actually the content where I was in a TMT consultancy with X amount of engineers or whatever it might be behind me, the capability was stronger and the frustration is there. And sometimes, Hey, look, I won't name any names, but some of these businesses are so glamorous to talk to your friends about it in terms of I've got an interview here and here, it can sometimes outweigh the actually what's going to get me out of bed in the morning after the novelty has gone of actually joining one of these large tech firms. Not to say that they aren't great businesses to join and some uh, there's a role there for everyone, I suppose, but I would again, be careful if you're a candidate on that. Um, the flip side of that is we've seen some of the sort of series A, series B startup scene, um, particularly in the tech and fintech space be very attractive to ex-consultants on the basis that they have a certain budget and a certain risk reward or a certain risk appetite, I suppose, when bringing in expensive consultants and the breadth of roles that consultants are able to take on for some of these smaller tech startups, certainly broader than the, you go into a pricing team at X FTSE 100 or whatever it might be, or the customer team. So you look at general management roles, for example, within the, within the tech startup scene or partnerships director, chief of staff and so on. So, um, if I was a candidate right now, I'd probably be slightly more, um, attracted by that bigger role growing with the company and so on versus square peg, square hole in some of the larger players, particularly in tech. Yeah. I think they have to have a certain level of ability to deal with ambiguity if they're going into some of the smaller ones. Because again, we've mm. seen people go into the real smaller startups, which have funding and the role that's described on day one is very, very different. And you're doing oh, everything and anything. Yeah, big time. Particularly if you're coming out of a 
you know, when McKinsey and Bain BCD are a really established tier one firm where everyone around you is at a certain level and it's a very slick operation and uh, it can be an eye opener, that's for sure. Mm. So I'm really interested, obviously, you're, the US is the newest market you've started recruiting strategy roles in. Um, you know, obviously we've had a one client that's Australian based with a New York presence and, you know, apparently it's quite, it's easier for Australians to get visas in the U S than it is for UK passport holders, which I didn't know before, but I'm assuming, is it New York where you're focused mostly or is it? Yeah, we have an office in, we have an office in New York. We've got an office in Philadelphia and an office in San Diego. Most of our strategy and consulting work is, is run out of our New York office. So yeah, very much New York at the moment. Um. Yeah. And it's, is it mostly financial services clients you have in New York? I'll caveat what I said just then, actually, look, we, we are based, uh, our work is out of New York, but actually we see lots of, it's much easier to service different states out of New York. So with that in mind, your question around financial services in New York, Hayla, it's a, it's a huge FS space, but we've also been doing some work in Miami, Austin, LA for, for some tech companies and some retailers and consumer goods companies in some of the hotspots, some of the states in, in the US as well. So um, I would say New York for FS, yes. But as a whole, the US market is just as varied as the London market, in my opinion. And how easy is it to get to the US? Is it if you've got an expat looking to do a stint there? Um, from a visa point of view, I'm less knowledgeable around the move from Australia. Um, and to be honest with you, based on the requirements that we've had, it's more often than not been the candidates would already need to have the, the, the right to work in the US or a green card or whatever it might be. Um, so I actually think it's quite challenging based on what I've seen, but I could be wrong. I could be yeah. wrong yeah. on that. They say that the, um, I mean, obviously London can be intense, but they say working in New York, if you can make it there, you can make it anywhere. Do you feel that you, you need a thicker skin if you're sort of look, entering the New York market? I think so. I think it's a, um, I've certainly noticed some cultural differences between London and New York. And sometimes you can, you think London, New York, you think very similar cities, cultural melting pots, et cetera. I think because employment law in the US on a state by state basis, but in New York and, and more broadly in the US is so favorable towards the employer versus the employee. Notice periods, notice periods are so short, very rarely do you get notice periods long, longer than sort of a month or two months, even if you're placing a partner in consulting, for example, if you're placing a manager from one consulting firm to the other, it's often one week. Wow. So as a result of that, attrition rates are quite high. It's a very transient population. Um, so if you're going to move to New York, if you're going to do the US thing, I'd be prepared for huge amounts of opportunity, huge amounts of big strategic challenges because so many large companies drive their strategy from the US, but be ready for change, be ready for things to change on the flip of a coin. So less thick skinned, I suppose, but more agile, you know, be, be ready for that change and, and fast paced environment. They get very, very few um, days holiday there, I believe. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's very different to what you and I would probably be experiencing this for sure. Um, I think it is improving. I think the trend there and the rhetoric is is improving that work-life balance and, and so on. But yeah, you're right. It's certainly more employer-friendly than employee-friendly. We would not get away with what they do in the, in the US over here. Um, and going back to my, my previous point, we often have, obviously, Australia is a very expat community in terms of um, consultants. Mm. They come here, they do a stint, and sometimes they go back to Europe. Often they end up staying a lot longer than they think they're going to. <laughs> Um, mm. But as I say, when children come along, they do tend to want to be closer to families, which is why they 
um, are quite strategic in their decision making when looking at opportunities in firms. Are they internationally recognized, for instance? I mean, what's your view on this? Do you, you feel that they need to worry about the brand on their resume if they've already got, say, an MBB background? It's a good question. I think the good caveat you put at the end there is if they have an MBB background. I think brand recognition is important, actually, when you're moving from Australia, which is quite a localized market, naturally, given its position relative to the UK, Europe, et cetera, and the US, clearly. There's been a number of conversations I've had with people over the years who are looking at relocating from Australia. And they will say to me, oh, but this is the largest agricultural company in Australia and so on. And, you know, everyone knows that over here. Um, and the, the problem is when you're making the jump and you're relocating without a network and without local knowledge of specific um, sectors that are operating in the UK or the US or whatever it might be, that's one thing. Uh, that's hurdle number one. Num number two, if you haven't demonstrated that you can work, that you have experience working in a business that has operations in the US, UK, Asia, Africa, wherever you might be, then all of a sudden that's another question to have to answer in an interview process where there may be two other people in the waiting room with hands-on experience with a direct competitor in a comparable market. So if I'm, if I was giving advice to, to candidates in Australia, New Zealand, looking to make the move to the UK or the US, that stepping stone of a bigger brand will certainly give hiring managers that little bit of comfort of, I may not recognize where they've been working before in terms of geographically, but I'd certainly recognize Pepsi, or I certainly recognize whoever, whoever the, the business might be. Yeah. Yeah. And, and how is Australian market experience viewed more holistically to your, to your clients? Possibly, positively. I think that there's a general view that the training is consistent. The academic credentials are strong. Um, and I don't think that's always the case when consultants are looking for moves from, from other geographies. And I think that's what it comes down to. Actually, I think sometimes you can, there are certain geographies where you will get a bit of a mixed bag of, of talent. And I don't necessarily think Australia, New Zealand have been as, as tarred with that brush at all. Um, purely down to the training and development they receive within some of the consultancies and the consistency of quality. We never have a, a, a concern on, are they operating at the right level? The concern may well be, is the experience fit for purpose um, relative to the market challenges that we have and they have? Yeah. Um, yeah. So, um, so yeah, certainly positive though. And was there any other sort of experience that obviously if they're trying to make themselves more appealing internationally, apart from the brand, I mean, obviously, if, especially if you're looking at tech firms, would, would tech experience um, be you know, positive for them to gain before they try and move? Or is it just really the brands of, on their resume? I think so. We're living in a market where, where, where expertise and specialism, where specialism is valued and generalist experience isn't the preferred option more often than not. So if they can make themselves, if candidates can, can make themselves, yeah, I used to say, be famous for something, you know, if you were going to go in and say, what, what is the one thing that you bring to the business? Be able to art articulate that very clearly. Yeah. Um, so if you're going into a tech business, make sure, and that's your, and that's your goal over the next two, three years, and you're sitting at McKinsey right now, make sure that you're edging your way onto those tech projects or fintech projects or that stepping stone digital transformation, or do you see what I mean? Whether it be functional or sector clearly, but absolutely. If you're going to make that move, be famous for something. Yeah, I would agree. And I, I recall, I mean, obviously it's a while ago now, but when I recruited in the UK, um, academics of a candidate were scrutinized much more closely than I found that they are here. I'd often get candidates rejected for you know, having, not having a T1 or a first, whereas 
people rarely look at those things on resumes here um, unless it's sort of down to the wire. Um, how important are academics still to clients? And do you feel that MBAs are essential? I think it's very much down to the hiring manager. I think some hiring managers can be really, can be really picky on academics and will say to us, you know, these specific universities and, and, and so on uh, are, are my preference. But I think that we're living in a world at the moment where our clients are trying to be a lot more uh, diverse in the talent that they're bringing in. And sometimes that will be school leavers. Sometimes it will be people who didn't go to university. Sometimes it will be people who went to um, a different university, but have found them, moved up the ladder and so on and have a really inspirational story with the experience they've credentialized themselves with. So I think my answer now, I'm feeling that change now as well. So I, I feel like my answer now will be very different to my answer in three years mm. and very different to what it was three years ago. <laughs> yeah. Um, in that it was quite focused on MBA from a top five business school. Uh, it's very rare we have that conversation anymore, to be honest with you. I don't think I've had that conversation many times um, here in Australia at all, ever. So it's, you yeah. know, MBA has been preference. Obviously, if someone's got an MBA, that'd be great. Um, but I feel that it's much more relationship driven here. So it's one of the biggest things I noticed from coming from the UK, recruiting in the UK to recruiting in Australia is it's all about the individual and the connection and the relationship mm. they can build, the rapport they can build very quickly with the hiring manager. Whereas mm. I think it was a, a much more business relationship um, in, in the UK. But as I say, that was a long time ago now, <laughs> probably four yeah. years ago since I've been um, recruiting in the UK. So it's been a while. <laughs> yeah, there's, there's clearly a place for, for business schools and the MBA programs are, are phenomenal and the, the talent that, that they generate is crazy. But I think it's, I think we're now in a situation where it's MBA plus what is the question. And, and it can very rarely now be, well, I went to INSEAD and got my GMAT is X. Well, that's enough to get this person through the door from a hiring manager's point of view. No, it has to be what specific value can you add to us? Mm. And it goes back to that point I made earlier around be a specialist and be an expert in something. Mm. Um, yeah, I think from a grad perspective, you know, obviously having an MBA um, will get you into the top consulting firms often, but mm, yeah, yeah the experience that matters. And I think the individual connection i don't know if that's still true in the yeah okay, but the individual connection and the rapport and the eq that they can bring yeah very much so paul i often ask all of my guests for a read watch listen to recommendation either ted talks books podcasts is there anything that you recommend to your candidates or you've personally read or um experienced that you can recommend so i'm a bit of a consulting geek and it's an area that i've worked with uh, for a long time now and um and for, for me, the, the foundations of the current consulting market were born out of the Enron crisis. There's a great film actually called The Smartest Guys in the Room, which is a fantastic depiction of the Enron crisis. And you can then link directly as to how we are, where we are today, why the big four are rebuilding their consulting practices, why Deloitte didn't divest their consulting practices. And I think to truly understand the consulting environment that either you're working for as a partner or a supplier like I am, or you're getting into as a candidate, I'd recommend understanding that history because um, um, it's written all over the, the world that we're, we're moving into today, I think. Mm. So yeah, that would be my, my recommendation. Amazing. And is there any other best advice that you can give to maybe more junior consultants potentially wanting to do a stint abroad, maybe UK, Europe or US? 
think, uh, yeah, it's, it's sorry to sound like a broken record, but I passionately believe this um, specialization and being an expert in something is the way forward. I think if you were to go in now and say, well, I could do retail, I can do financial services, I could do TMT. What do you want from me from any given day? I just don't think the market's there anymore. Um, and, uh, and so I think that both from a sector point of view and more and more so from a functional point of view, private equity firms come to us now and they, they don't come to us and say, can you find us a, a McKinsey engagement manager or whatever? They come to us and say, can you find us a procurement specialist or can you find us a supply chain specialist? So yeah, my advice would be find something to be famous in and, and run towards it. Amazing. Thank you. And of course, um, I'm going to be in the UK in May and June, and obviously we're going to catch up then. But I'm you know, obviously happy to talk to any candidates in the UK that are looking to maybe do a stint in Australia. Now mm-hmm. that the borders are open and you know, the floods <laughs> have gone and the fires have gone <laughs> and all the other things, um, who knows what's next. But um, it's not a bad place to be. So happy to chat to any consultants that are potentially looking to do a stint over here as well. But, um, but thank Absolutely. you so much for joining me. And I look forward to catching up with you in May, June. Absolutely. Thanks for having me, Anika. Thank, thank you. you. Thank you so much for listening to the Strategy Bites podcast, bringing strategy career advice to the market. But please do remember that first and foremost, Oaktree Talent is a specialist strategy and transformation recruitment agency. So if you're a top tier consultant or want to hire excellent strategy capability, please get in touch.